0: Let's get medicated, man, let's get medicated, let's get medicated.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode four of the Eye on IR podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Liam Smith. And before we get into anything too detailed today, a couple things just to touch base on. First off, I'm excited to announce that my claim submitted to Apple Podcasting has been approved. So all of the podcasts are now available on the Apple Podcasting app, both moving forward and previous episodes. So I'd encourage everybody to subscribe to that. Our Facebook page is also live. So if you're a Facebooker, drop a like to stay in touch, as well as our Twitter page at I underscore on underscore IR, the same handle as our Instagram account. And I've also had a couple questions about the name of the podcast, IR. So hopefully you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I'm not confused about this at all. I know exactly what an IR is, but if you are, no worries at all. It's never the audience's fault to be confused. So IR is a reference to the injured reserve list, which is a term used in the NFL and NHL. And the idea for that is to say as if I'm watching the IR. So for today's episode, I think I mentioned this previously, but I personally am a big soccer guy. I grew up playing. I'm a big fan of the game. And I've had a couple friends ask me, you know, are you considering doing an episode about a soccer player or, you know, injuries within the game? And real quick, to everyone out there, snickering to yourself that, oh, you'll have plenty to talk about because soccer players just fake injuries all the time. You're hilarious. Why is it that guys are flopping around? <laughs> now, obviously, I don't like flopping any more than the next guy. I personally watch a good amount of European soccer, but my one true love is for Team USA.
0: Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA.
1: So naturally I wanted to pick an American player, and I had the idea of talking about American winger Joe Zhao. As just a teenager, Joe Zhao took his talents abroad, playing for the system of German Bundesliga team Hoffenheim. Nowadays we see a decent number of young Americans move abroad, in Germany especially, Guys like Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, Sergino Dest. And although there were some Americans playing abroad in Europe at the time, it seemed like Joe Zhao was far younger than everybody else. After a couple years at Hoffenheim, he moved to Borussia Dortmund, also in Germany. But Jess's things seem like they're really starting to take off, and knee injury changes the direction of his career. As I've come to find out, Joe Jiao has had an insanely resilient career and his road to returning to the field has been one of absolute legend. He currently plays for the MLS team, FC Cincinnati. As I was doing some research on his injury, it occurred to me that nobody's playing sports right now, I bet Joe Zhao has some free time on his hands. So, I did what I'm sure a lot of us have been doing in quarantine, and I shot my shot in the DMs. To my absolute shock, Joe Zhao responded and said he'd be interested in doing an interview for the podcast, With that said this episode structure is going to be a little bit different obviously since i haven't had an interview before i do my best to slow things down and explain soccer related topics to those of you that might not be as big of soccer fans as myself i also do my best to slow things down and explain some of his injury details after our conversation ends though i go into full detail about all of this so hang tight this episode is also a little bit longer than normal and i apologize for that but I figure everyone has a surplus of time on your hands, so I hope you can bear with me on that. But with that said, who better to explain Joe Zhao's injury than Joe Zhao himself? I'd like to officially welcome the winger for FC Cincinnati as well as the United States men's national team, Joe Zhao. Welcome to the Eye on IR podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. No problem, no problem. Thank you for having me. So, just to get right into it, starting from, I guess, sort of in the beginning, Growing up in the U.S., what led you to go on to play overseas in Germany, you know, at such a young age? I
0: would just say just the influence of my father, because he, uh, he played overseas for a few years mm-hmm. back when he was playing. And I always had that dream of just, you know, playing at the highest level that I could, you know, just trying to make the most out of the competition. And funny uh, funny enough, like, that was where I got interest first, <laughs> Really? But like, Definitely. yeah. When I when I became of age, I started getting calls from Europe before I actually started getting like real looks from the MLS.
1: Wow, that's yeah. funny how that goes. Yeah, the MLS was sleeping, I guess. But I f- guess so. You start off at Hoffenheim, correct? Yep. And it's about during your second year you start to break into their first team, mm-hmm. and then you get scooped up by Dortmund in 2014. Dortmund at the time was coming off of winning the league in 2011 and 2012. In the 2013 season, they finished second place in the UEFA Champions League, the top tournament in all of Europe. They weren't one of the best teams in Germany. They were one of the best teams in the world. So what's it like being recognized by such a huge club in world football?
0: It's It's a surreal moment, but then at the same time, like when it's happening you try to stay focused so you don't want to get too caught up into it but definitely at the moment like when my when my agent had called me when I was at home training me and my family we definitely got hyped when we got the call that that everything had uh, gone through you know so just being there such a traditionally strong club you know the fan base is immense it was it was one of those humbling moments you know to see like all the training and all the the sessions had come together
1: What was Jurgen Klopp like as the manager? Jurgen Klopp currently is the manager of Liverpool FC, an English team who last season finished first in the UEFA Champions League. Before all the coronavirus stuff, they were well ahead of every other English team in the Premier League. Also, for anybody that might be confused, the words manager and coach basically mean the same thing in soccer.
0: Man, like uh, a lot of times people will see him on TV getting real hyped and stuff. He's not like that in person, you know? Like he's he's pretty laid back as a, as far as managers goes. Um, he has his ticks. Obviously, you don't want to get on his bad side, but he's 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 a real passionate guy when it comes to the game. And um, if you're one of those guys that fits his style of play, then he definitely embraces you. He embraces that, and uh, I enjoyed every minute playing under him.
1: So September 2014, you make your first team debut for Dortmund. Yep. And you sub in for some for some guy, some no-name guy, yeah. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Yeah. So just take me through that moment for you. Aubameyang was one of the guys who had a lot to do with Thornton being so successful those couple years. He currently plays for the London team Arsenal Football Club. And last season, he finished in a three-way tie for the Golden Boot, the award given to the Premier League's top goal scorer, scoring 22 goals in 36 games.
0: Yeah, so I had had a... Um, I would come off of some good games with, uh, with the second team and then I playing games with the second team, but training like every day with the first team. And then finally, like I've been doing really well. So they called me up. So I've been, uh, I've been making the bench a couple times already. And, uh, in particular, I had a really good week of training and they were like, Hey, just be ready when, uh, when coach calls your name. So I was warming up. They held up my Jersey number, told me to run around to the sideline and, um, When he told me to come in, he gave me a big hug. And then that's when he told me, okay, you're going to go in for Pierre. I think we were down 2-1, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he just told me
1: to go out there and have fun. Never forget that. That's incredible. So at the same time all this is going on, you start getting noticed by Team USA. Mm -hmm. uh, Also German manager at the time, Jürgen Klinsmann. And you get a couple call-ups. You get called up for a friendly and it's in October of 2014 versus Ecuador. Yep. So funny actually funny enough flashback in time. I was a uh, I was a junior in high school at the time and I one of my best friends and I like obviously like the World Cup was that past summer. We skipped our homecoming dance, we skipped our homecoming <laughs> like, pep rally and we drove up to Connecticut to come see the game. So obviously it's it's Landon Donovan's last game. Yep. And you know everybody's watching him. But it's a big game for you at the same time. And about 15 minutes in is when the injury happened. So Mm -hmm. I don't completely remember, like, what exactly happened. So just take me through that play of, you know, the sequence of events.
0: Yeah, it was just um, Greg had played me the ball around, like, honestly, I was a little bit in my own half.
1: Joe's talking about Greg Garza here, who played left back for the United States for a period of time. He's still in and out of the lineup, but... In that game, Joao was playing left mid. Greg Garza was playing left back, so the two worked together a lot.
0: Uh, turn, push the ball down the sideline, and then as I was going to like save the ball from going out, my cleats kind of got like stuck in the ground, and that was when like I felt my knee a bit. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew something wasn't right. You know, so I tried to finish out the play, then the ball goes out of bounds, and that's when I went down um, immediately physios came on they did like the checks for the ACL and
1: whatnot they said you know that was still intact the ACL can be checked pretty easily with something called the Lachman's test in this procedure the knee is bent at an angle a little bit less than 90 degrees with one hand on the thigh for stability pressure is then put on the tibia with the other hand the major bone of the lower leg if the ACL is torn the tibia can move back and forth in sort of a jumping motion at a much greater range of motion than would normally be seen in a healthy knee. Obviously, since there's no ACL to keep everything
0: stable. Right. Um, but obviously, I was still in like a large amount of pain, so I was still a bit uncertain about that. But I go back and they tell me that it was just a bone bruise, you know, and uh, yeah, it was just a bone bruise. So I'm thinking, oh, wow, it's just a bruise. It's not that serious, but... The misconception is a bone bruise is like those things take a long time to heal. It's just not like a regular muscle bruise. So, um, within about four weeks, I was back on the field playing again. But that was like too early. Obviously, they didn't know the extent of the the um the seriousness of the injury as well, and. When I kept playing that's when the cartilage damage came so like the bone was too weak for the cartilage to grow on top of it so it ended up a piece just ended up falling off and then that's where the the damage came from so that like prolonged process
1: gotcha gotcha and it was a uh it was a meniscus injury that was the the cartilage right
0: yeah so uh no actually no that's that's like what a lot of people get wrong, it was like articular cartilage. So my meniscus and everything, really? okay. yeah, nothing ever happened with my meniscus. It was my articular cartilage, like right outside my kneecap.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, because that's what I saw online that a lot of people are still, I guess, still to this day saying it was a meniscus. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Not just some things I found online said this. Everything I found online said that Joe Zhao suffered from a torn meniscus. But at the same time, this was very helpful to know because while a torn meniscus – takes about 3 months to recover from. Articular cartilage injuries are much more complicated, but we'll get all into that here. So, did you end up you ended up having surgery for it?
0: Yeah, I ended up having a few just cuz first the bone bruise had to heal and then wow. they had to do like a cartilage transplant cuz like once cartilage falls off, it doesn't grow back on its own. Right. Of course. So they had to do, you know, the transplant, then after that um I had to pretty much get used to like my new the new cartilage that was in my knee so the adjustment period also took a while
1: gotcha yeah do
0: you know do you remember how many
1: surgeries you had exactly
0: um i had the first initial surgery where they went in my knee to like do a little cleanup job then the second one i got like a microfracture just to induce healing for the bone bruise and then the wow. transplant was two parts so four altogether Wow! Wow! Yeah. And do you remember
1: where they took the cartilage from?
0: Yeah, they took it from my knee. So, like, they um, they uh, took a little bit out of my knee. They sent it to a lab in Switzerland, and they cloned oh. the they cloned the they cloned it a bit. So it grew oh, wow. on its own, and then they put it back in. I want to say like three or four weeks later. Wow!
1: So this was this was in Germany that the operations were happening. Correct? Yeah, yeah, this Got was it. all in Germany. Gotcha. And had you had any issues with the knee before that injury?
0: Nah, like I had never really been seriously injured before. Like you have your ankle sprains and whatnot, but nothing sure. to like that magnitude. So it was a shock to me.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I mean, that definitely clarifies it for me because, you know, I I was seeing online it was a meniscus tear and I was like, man, like. Yeah, meniscus can't take that long. <laughs> right, Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, so after the surgery, talk to me a little bit about what your rehabilitation process was like. You know, were there any complications or anything like that?
0: Um, like in the beginning, just the cartilage growing back, like I said, the adjustment period, that was a, a bit difficult sometimes just because like it took a while for my body to, to take it in, you know, that took a little bit. But then once my knee settled down, the cartilage started attaching Then that's when I was able to, like, walk slowly, jog. So that whole process was, like, I had to relearn everything, you know? Yeah. So get back jogging, then get back to sprinting. I had to get used to, you know, cutting certain movements. So I split my rehab time. I did some rehab in Munich. Um, The the physio for the national team, Oliver Schmidtline, he had his own practice down in Munich at the time. And um, I will go down there. And then I would split it in between Dortmund. So, yeah, all in all, that took, I want to say, a year and a half of straight rehab. And I had linked up with a couple guys. You know, Terrence Boyd, we did rehab together in Munich. Josh Gatt was also down there at the same time. Aaron oh, Johansson. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was decent to not be alone in it. But it was definitely still
1: rehab, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. The three guys he mentions here are all Americans who played in Europe at the time. Terence Boyd also played in Germany for the club Red Bull Leipzig and actually tore his ACL in December of 2014. Josh Gatt played for a Norwegian team, but is another guy with a long history of knee injuries. And finally, Aaron Johansson was an American striker who played in the Netherlands, but got sold to the German team Werder Bremen in 2015, which explains where he comes into the equation. Definitely. So yeah, so... Rehab turns into—I mean, it turns into kind of a long road for you. But about a year and a half, you know, of determination, you mm-hmm. come back, right? And there's a new manager in charge too. Yep. So Thomas Tuchel, instead of Klopp, putting this back into perspective, Thomas Tuchel currently manages the French team PSG, easily the best team in France. How much would you say, like, the team was different in terms of you know team culture, things like that?
0: Uh, it was real different, just because you know they Klopp had. I, it was a misconception that Klopp. I don't know if I don't remember if Klopp stepped down or they fired him, just because we weren't doing that great that year. Yeah. Um. So he was gone. He took his, you know, assistant. He took his uh, video staff. You know, Tuco came in and he had like fired, you know, a lot of the physios, got a new chef, got a whole bunch of new stuff, and then a lot of players go, uh, left. You know, so it was definitely it was definitely uh, different. And then me, obviously, being gone for so long, he hadn't seen me forever, basically. Right. You know, yeah, just coming back into that situation was a little bit tough for me. But I mean, I knew soccer stops for no man, you know, it keeps going. Of course. So I couldn't really dwell on that too long. I just had to get back into it. So I would start playing games with the second team. At that time, the coach was Daniel Farka. He's the coach of Norwich City now in the Premiership. Really? Um, yeah. So I was uh, I was with them until I want to say January twenty seventeen, and then at that point I hadn't played too many games yet, but I needed like consistent game time to get back into into my flow. You know?
1: Yeah, of course.
0: So that was when. Um... Oh yeah, and before all of that, Dorman had extended my contract because they knew how long the, the uh, recovery process was going to be. So they extended my deal, you know, to help me recover and all of that, you know, not too many teams would do that. Yeah. So shout out to them for that. But yeah, once January, 2017 came around, I was like, okay, I need to get some games in. And um, Dortmund was there, there, they were already stacked. So I was like, I need to go someplace where I know I'm going to play every minute of every game and just get back into my rhythm. So that's, when I decided to make my move.
1: Yeah, so next couple years, you stay in Germany, right? Mm -hmm. And you first go to, uh, it's a third division team, correct? I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce the name. You might have to help me with that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Sonnenhof Gross (laughs) Asbach. I don't think I'm going to try that. um, (laughs) No worries. You spend some time there and then in the second division in Germany. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about those experiences.
0: So going down to Sonnenhof, it was a bit of a difficult uh, – it was difficult to go down there just because it wasn't my first choice, obviously. But after being injured for so long, like a lot of teams were like, oh, we don't know if he's fit. We don't know if his knee is back to normal, da da So I was like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, whine about it. Let me just go and just show everybody that I'm fine, you know. So I went down there. Uh, halfway into the season, I was playing striker a bit. You know, just showing my versatility, getting my strength back, getting my pace back. And I feel like Gross Aspach really helped me regain my form. You know, that's why I regained my form, regained the confidence, everything, you know, all the little attributes that I have in my game that helped me reform myself.
1: So those first couple of years back, how much would you say the injury affected you? Like first, you know, physically as an athlete, but also mm-hmm. mentally.
0: Like... Mentally, it's wild because a lot of people think an injury is just the physical side. But as much as you get scarred physically, you get scarred mentally. So a lot of times you're worried about doing the same action and the same thing happening. Or what if I do this? Ah, I don't want to do this because then it might happen again. You know, so I had to get over that. And it took me a while to get over it. But luckily, I had been training for a while with Dortmund before I made my move into games. So by the time I jumped into the games, I was ready for it. And yeah, once I got back into the games, I had been doing so much rehab on my legs, they were like stronger than what they were before. So just getting back into game fitness was the only thing that I really needed to get back. And just like the repetition.
1: So that was that process. So after that, you spent a couple more years in in Germany, right? And mm-hmm. then just last year you make the decision to come back home to the US and you mm-hmm. join the MLS expansion team FC Cincinnati. Yep. How do you like MLS compared to playing in Germany? You know, because American soccer definitely doesn't get, you know, a whole lot of respect in the in the world scope.
0: Right. Yeah. Funny you say that, 'cause a lot of a lot of guys like so I get to see both sides, a lot of guys in Europe, they think like, Oh yeah. You know, come back to the MLS. Yeah, you think I could go there? Uh, I could. Ju- you know, they think it's like you could just come over here and just play, which is like not the case because I know a lot of guys that have come back to try and play in the MLS from over there in like the top leagues, and they've they've had a hard time. So coming back over here, maybe like tactically the game is different, but like dynamically and athletically. The players over here in the states are very dynamic it's a very dynamic league you know like once the game hits 60 70 minutes of the field it's an open game it's a running it's a runner's game so you know you gotta you gotta have the athletic side as well as the strength side when you come over here to play so that's what I've noticed
1: sure yeah and I feel like that fits your style of play pretty well too Oh definitely definitely so have you had any issues with your knee since that original injury and then coming back?
0: luckily no man luckily i have not had any issues knock on wood um that was like my biggest that was my biggest fear like people would always be like yeah once you do it you might yeah you might you never know you might do it again (laughs) you know but i had a lot of good people behind me and i haven't had any i haven't backtracked on on my knee injury or anything like
1: that so things have been solid since then yeah that's great to hear for sure and Do you think it affects you, like, you know, going back to that mental aspect of it, Mm -hmm. do you think it affects you as an athlete now, or do you feel like you've, you know, kind of adapted to it?
0: Um, Nah, I've gotten over that, you know, just through repetition, through, you know, mental practices, I pretty much have gotten over it. And it feels like kind of, it's like not two different players, but just like two different, two different timelines, pretty much like my timeline before injury and post injury. So I mean, I obviously remember the injury, you know, you never forget something like that. But sometimes I do, how would I word this? Like, it it feels like it's so long ago that it happened, you know? So I I never really second guess the power that I have in my knee or in my legs. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, Yeah. I definitely see that. So going back to a brighter note now, uh, this past June, You get called back up to Team USA for the first time, and it's uh, a friendly versus Jamaica. And funny enough, I was actually at that game too. I really don't go to that. Really, (laughs) I really don't go to that many Team USA games. But yeah, so um, I mean, it's gotta feel great to be back. So just tell me a little bit about that,
0: man. Um, so yeah, coming off of the last few games of the season at Duisburg, um, I was in like I had a string of good games, you know, assisted, scored. And that's when Burhalter gives me the call.
1: Greg Burhalter, that is, who currently is the manager of Team USA.
0: So we're down, we're actually at the training camp in Annapolis. And yeah. it was just rejuvenating, like being back home for the first time, being on American soil and playing. Yeah, for the first time, like in a while, my, my mom, my dad, my, my grandma, my aunts, everybody got to come to that game and, and see me play and just like to be able to put that shirt back on after five years of grinding basically it was a surreal moment because it's like yeah we we got back to it like that was always one of my goals like I always had a chip on my shoulder like I'm gonna get back on that team I'm gonna get back on that team and to you know make a statement and step back on that field after an injury that would have ended a lot of guys careers you know not many people would have come back from that like when I actually was getting uh, about to get my surgery the doctor said the chances of me playing again were 2%. You know. Wow. So yeah man, it was just stepping back out on the field. I was just
1: getting the chills a little bit. Yeah man, that that's awesome. That's so awesome. Thanks, man. So, looking towards the future again, you know, maybe you can give me some insight here. What's uh what's the next step in your career? You know, do you like Cincinnati or do you have, you know, hopes and dreams of going back to Europe ever?
0: Um, I mean as a soccer player, you you, you go where your, where your performances takes you. Obviously, I'm in Cincinnati right now. I'm happy here. I'm definitely closer to home. For now, I just wanna get a good string of games and I wanna have a good season, you know what I'm saying? Uh coronavirus, I kinda halted that a little bit. <laughs> but yeah. but um yeah, once we get back, I just wanna get back to balling and and let that and let that see where it takes me. Um, if it leads me to a great future here in Cincinnati, I'm happy with it or a future someplace else. I'm also happy with it, but just being going through everything I've gone through, I've just learned to appreciate the game a little bit more, you know? So as long as I'm able to play and play well, I'm happy with that. Obviously I want to make more appearances for the national team. You know, that's still a goal of mine.
1: Just let your game do the, do the talking, I guess, right? Yeah, sir. That's it. (laughs) Who would you say your favorite player you've gotten to uh, play alongside is? Favorite player that I played with? Hmm,
0: it's a good question, man. I played with a, with a few good ones. I mean, playing with Roberto Firmino was nice, man. That's a that's a really talented player right there. Um, like through the bond that we've created, uh, Ryan Babel. Like we've been friends ever since he he came ever since he came to Hoffenheim. I want to say in like 2011, 2012. So we have created a great bond since then, and that's one of the guys that I that I looked up to. So. Um, cause I, I remember when I was in middle school, I used to watch his videos when he was at Liverpool and then to be sitting next to him in the locker room was kind of like, you know, I was not starstruck, but it was like, oh man, one of the guys that I used to look up to now is like my teammate. So I definitely used to look up to him a lot. Now he's, you know, one of my peers and good friends. So that's probably one of my favorite players to play with that I
1: played with. Bobby Firmino plays striker for Liverpool, going back to one of the best teams in the world right now. He's also the starting striker for Brazil, whose team does not need much of an introduction. Ryan Babbel's a winger who currently plays for the Dutch team Ajax, who had a great season last year, and he also plays wing for the Dutch national team. Yeah, that's surreal, man. That's awesome. Thanks. All right. And then one other question. What's the next step for American soccer? The
0: next step for American soccer? Like, what do you mean? Like, where do we go from here or what?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, in terms of just taking Team USA to the next level.
0: Ah, you know, Team I- USA to the next level. I think we're on, the, on a good track. You know, obviously there's a lot of talent, US-based, and, you know, um, guys that have eligibility to play for USA that are from overseas. So the talent pool is definitely there. But at the same time, the talent pool everywhere else is growing. As as everyone knows, you know, it's not rocket science anymore. Everybody, every country has has major soccer players now. So I just feel like just trying to create that base is what USA needs to, to figure out before we're able to, you know, start moving forward. You know, I mean, a lot of you know, U.S. soccer fans say like, yeah, the future's bright, the future's bright. But, you know, we got to start at some point. You know, we can't keep saying the future's bright, the future's bright and yeah. the future's here, and it's still the same. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, so I, I definitely agree with that. It's uh, with that.
0: it's tough to say exactly what is to happen, but as long as we keep generating the player pool, I think we'll always have a good chance. It's just how everything comes together.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, are you in touch with guys like, you know, Christian Pulisic, you know, Weston McKennie? Because I feel like you were kind of a trailblazer for that USA-Germany connection.
0: Yeah, for sure. I talk to, uh, I talk to Christian every now and then. Because right when I was there, he was coming in through the youth team. So um, that's one of the guys I talked to. But more so, like Bobby Wood, that's that's my right-hand man right there. We were out in Germany pretty much the whole time I was out there. Bobby was there. He's still there. Um, But, yeah, I still talk to Christian. I still talk to Bobby a lot. I mean, uh, last time I was on vacation, I saw Weston. Obviously, I saw Weston at the camp. We played against Jamaica. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that. Some people do say, like, oh, yeah, because of you, like, some guys have been able to go to Germany. I never really looked at it like that, but, you know, I guess so.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and now we got Gio Reyna coming through the ranks. For like, sure. Like, a lot yeah. of guys buzzing. So that's all I've got for questions, but anything else you want listeners to know out there?
0: Um, No, not really, not really. I used to be – I used to be – a lot more into my, my social media, you know, like Uh my IG and my Snapchat and stuff like that. So I was kind of more of an open book, but as I, as I got older, I kind of like, you know, stepped back a little bit from it. So I would have said, Oh, if you want to know more, check out my IG, but there's not much really on there. But um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, just, you know, just follow the journey. Just always know that there's something to come. I'm just going to keep grinding, doing my thing. Always trying to represent for the people where I'm from and the whole United States as a whole. Yeah, just big things to come.
1: I love that, man. Joe, thank you so much, man. And, um, you know, I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. Thank you, man. Anytime. Thanks for having Perfect. me. He's humble, but if you're interested in following his journey, you can check out his Instagram at jojau36, Jao spelled G-Y-A-U. Going back to what he says about his injuries, though, his problems started with the bone bruise to his left knee. Bone bruises involve little cracks to the bone, but they're different from a fracture or what you'd commonly hear of as a broken bone, and that they're more on the surface of the bone, while fractures involve cracks to the deeper inside of the bone structure. Like I'm sure many of us would have, you return to the field quickly, not realizing how serious the injuries were. And the cracks in the surface of the bone, the bone bruise, are actually what likely ends up damaging his cartilage. The articular cartilage also is found on the bone surface of the femur. And it's different from the meniscus, which is a much thicker pad of cartilage, not attached to bone, that sits directly between the tibia and femur, the bones of your lower and upper leg, surrounding the ACL and MCL in sort of a crescent shape. Articular cartilage is really significant in the mobility of a joint, providing a slick surface for your bones to slide across. When Joe started playing again after just four weeks, the bone bruise continued to damage his cartilage until further action was taken. I looked up a couple other athletes who have had issues with articular cartilage, and one example I found for any basketball fans out there is former shooting guard for Michigan State and a number of NBA teams, Jason Richardson. He had surgery to fix up his cartilage in the winter of 2013 and actually had to sit out 2 years as well before returning in the winter of 2015. Unfortunately though, he only went on to play another half of an NBA season, retiring in that summer of 2015. Joe then told me a little bit about the various surgeries that he had in response to the injury. His first one he described as a cleanup job. So as we already talked about, joints rely a lot on these smooth surfaces between bones. But When things get torn, there can be too much friction in joints. Doctors likely just went in to shave down any cartilage that was loose and causing roughness. His second surgery is when the microfracture was induced. Now this is kind of a crazy concept, but how it works is doctors go into his knee And using a tool called an awl, basically just a sharp poker, they make little holes underneath the cartilage. Now this might sound kind of similar to the bone bruise he initially suffered from, but it's in a very controlled and organized manner to promote healing. Now this works by increasing the blood flow and therefore nutrients brought to that region in hope of stimulating regrowth of the cartilage. Both these procedures were likely done arthroscopically, which is a technique used where surgeons can actually just poke little holes and insert the necessary tools, as well as a tiny little camera projecting images onto a screen for visual. This allows him to avoid opening up the knee completely. His third and fourth surgeries were the cartilage transfer, where cartilage was removed from his knee, duplicated in a lab setting, and reinserted in a procedure called an arthrotomy. These surgeries however do require complete opening of the knee, which, I'm sure you can assume, is not preferred if possible. Rehab from this is especially tough when the cartilage is attaching to the bone. In some cases, it's up to weeks before any weight can be bared. I do apologize for all this science back to back, and if you're having trouble following, I'd encourage everybody to check out some of our social media accounts, particularly the Instagram page at I underscore on underscore IR to get a better visual for everything of I'm talking about here. Moving forward, if Joe's knee hasn't given him any issues yet, I don't see it being a problem for him in the future. Knock on wood. Although it's tough to think about what-if situations at Dortmund, Joe Jiao has had an extremely successful career nonetheless, and he's far from being done. With the next World Cup two years away, I'm excited to see what Joe and Team USA bring to the table. Make sure you let me know what you think of this episode format and reach out to me with any questions. Once again, I'm your host, Liam Smith. I am not a doctor. Make sure you all tune in again soon for all of the injury updates right here on the Eye on IR podcast.
0: Man, let's get medicated. Let's get medicated.